Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana, and you're listening to the Mall Over Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's Mall Over podcast, the only rugby podcast that brings all the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action or the West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mall Over Podcast, Mall Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook, and you can find all of our podcasts now on the Sport Social Network. Um, as you can tell, I'm back this week, albeit pretty bunged up. So you might hear me very nasally this evening. Big thanks to Douglas, the lensman, for steering a coherent conversation between, you know, arguably the two most educated uh, Fairly people. rambling, to be fair. Fairly it, rambling. It was, it was fairly rambly, but it was it was very entertaining. And as Phil quite rightly said, not as depressive as, as some may have, uh, have intimated on, on Twitter. Uh, so well done, you two. Thanks for, for keeping things going. I was in absolutely no fit state. I couldn't even hold a conversation by the time I got back from Manchester last week. Three days on the piss in Manchester does not render the pleasurable to mine eye. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that was that was decent from you two. Uh Ben sat on the stairs like a moody teenager. How are you doing? Like uh like a poor Harry Potter. <laughs> like on the stairs instead of under the stairs. Yeah, yeah. Sort of um not treated quite as badly as, as Harry Potter. Was Harry Potter treated badly? I don't know if you read it. I mean, I couldn't care less about that shit, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, apparently she's made a few quid, but it, it baffles me. Um, have you all had decent weekends? Hopefully you all got involved and watched plenty of rugby. Uh, we're going to start off with uh, Scotland versus France. Um I didn't watch this game, but Phil, you uh, you were all over it. I think Ben, you watched it as well. What um, can anybody stop France in in their pursuit of a Grand Slam? Uh, well, yeah, technically they can. Um, well, I, France, I, I, France can, yeah. That, <laughs> but but I but I don't see that happening. I don't, this this isn't the France of old. 
Um, there are there are parts of the France of old still there in the the brilliance that can come out of nothing, um, as was seen with their their first try. Um, Dupont got the ball with precious little space, weaved a little bit of magic, but it wasn't just that. It was the the speed of ball from the rocks was just phenomenal. I think it was three quick rocks. Um, and they go from within their own 22 to a second row crashing over. Um, and that's kind of where the similarities with the France of old um, end. I was, I'm in a WhatsApp group with a load of farming related people. And somebody made a comment that Scotland showed that France is still, still I massively. Mean, that sounds like a shit place to be. It, it? it is. It is. Yeah. But said that um, Scotland showed that France is still not fit enough for, for top class rugby. And I thought, what a pile of horseshit. Um, when you've got no France team of five years ago, two years ago even, would have had a second row following a break 80, 90 metres to crash over um, and score the try. No France team of old would have had Cyril Bailly just covering the entire pitch as a prop for, what, 60, 65 minutes um, and probably could have seen it through to the end. Um, like, they... In terms of skill set, they're exactly as France were, but in terms of mentality, they're a whole different side. And and I don't even see France stopping France winning a, you, a Grand do you, Slam. Do you think that that's a, um, a Sean Edwards mentality that he's instilled into that side? Because France have always had notoriously a soft underbelly. They've always flattered to, to deceive. They've always had that ability to tear teams apart. But actually, if you just hang around long enough for France, you used to be able to outdog them, outgun them. This French team looks different to pretty much any other French team I've ever seen. You know, we we talked about the back row a couple of weeks ago with uh, um, Gilanche, uh, Aldrit and, and Croix. And, uh, you know, they, they've just got, they've got power, they've got finesse, but they've also got that element of dog that French teams of old have, have never really had. Yeah, there's 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 that. Uh, I think I would say probably a good 85, 90% of it's down to Edwards. And I, I could quite easily say 100%, but I think Gaultier's got something to do with that as well. I think he was never the kind of French player who would drift out of games in the way that, that some of the other players would. He would always kind of hang around and and um, make a decent effort when the rest of his team were, were giving up. So I think he's added a bit. But... It's like just it's the pack is so different from the French pack of old. And I think that's the major difference. The backs have always been there or thereabouts, but prone to the odd Freddie Michelac era um, historically. But I think the pack are, are now athletes. Like, as I said, I mentioned by, but Marchand as well. The ground he covers and, and the work that he does in and around the rucks is is just phenomenal. It's no longer about being 40 kilos heavier as a pack and dominating in the set play, but never moving more than about 10 yards across the pitch. It's now being 40 kilos heavier, dominating in the set plays and covering the entire pitch. Um, and yeah, they, they just look seriously impressive. Ben, what did you make of, of Scotland? We talked a couple of weeks ago about mm. Scotland were lucky to beat England having been, you know, talked up a little bit pre-tournament, they were the best part of gash against Wales. Um, and now they've um, to slip to defeat against France, which would have been expected. They could quite easily be 0 from 3. 
staring, you know, at a Scotland-Italy um, wooden spoon match. Do you think they're lucky to be in the position they're in at the minute? Uh, no, because, well, you know, England could easily be owing two, uh, one and two, couldn't they? You know, um, so, so they, they might be lucky to be in that position, but they are in that position. Um, I just think, I mean, at times they actually play quite well. You know, they got hit with a bit of a sort of blitzkrieg at the, in the first 10 minutes and then um, really got themselves back into the game. Um, I thought um, Schumann played really well, um, the prop. Um, but, you know, Russell and Hogg just weren't really at the party in this game. Um, you know, the, 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 the Scottish commentary team on the BBC did what they always do and just decided to fixate on one Scottish player and, and just bang you, on about before, it. Before you, before you say who it is, and I didn't watch this game, I'm going to guess it was Rory Darge. Is it Darge? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. They, they quite often do it. They'll, 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 they'll be like, oh, we might have lost 50 nil, but um, the guy in his first cap had him. Yeah, yeah. They, he's absolutely, you know, and, and the, kid, the kid played really well. Fair play to him. Um, but, you know, he was on a, a well-beaten side by the end of it. Um, I thought uh, uh, Van der Merwe and two of Tua Politao played well. Um, Tua you know, Politao? So, yeah. <laughs> well, what is his name? Ben's back. And that an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the three colours. <laughs> yeah. no, oh, I don't know. Duo, there's only two. Um, I bet he's struggled with Politao. my surname as well. There, uh, <laughs> isn't isn't the on, issue Go here, on, then. Who's going to say it right? Who's going to say it right? Tui Pilotto. Tui Pilotto. Yeah, well done. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't isn't the issue here, Ben, that it's it's kind of typical of a of a Finn Russell side and probably a Gregor Townsend side that that's exactly what Scotland are. They are three or four players who have a good game, but there's no team there. Like there's no there's no cohesion around what they're doing. Um, Finn Russell's trying to win the game with every play that he does, and there's no there's no yeah. setup, there's no game plan, there's no. Um, as I say, there's no cohesion. Um, and they kind of relied on the fact historically, I think, to win a few games that a Fagerson, Ritchie, Watson back row will keep them in games for long periods of time. Um, and there was only, well, no, there was none of them playing, was there? Um, no, I, don't, I think to be fair to them, when they when they did click, that they were, you know, they, they could blow teams away. But, you know, I mean, but I think it's more through luck than game plan. Yeah, it could well be. And, and, and like looking at their bench, they are a little bit depleted at the moment. Um, but, you know, for all that they held, you know, they could have actually almost gone in at half time in the lead. The, the, you know, they did keep hold of the ball pretty well. But France have got that knack, haven't they? They, they, they come out and smash into a team early and then they seem to always score just before half time with the last play of the game or the last play of the half. I think that's the mark of a, a good side. And I think what you said about um, Galtier is right because, you know, he was captain of the last French side that you could probably say had a huge amount of dog, um, you know, with uh, Betson and Aaron Ordeke and all those, all those guys in it. Um, so, you know, I think his influence is probably um, there to see. 
Um, you know, Jaminet actually had a fairly rough afternoon um, compared to the, most of the rest of the team. Um, but, you know, they they were well worth their win. And I think, like, if you watch the five-minute highlights of the game, you would think, oh, you know, typical France with all these sort of flashy tries. But actually, they're, they're just more physical than everyone else as well. I think they were more physical than Ireland and they were certainly more physical than Scotland. And, you know, people were getting flattened out there. And, um, you know, and, and in that, I think, was part of the reason that the turnovers were happening by the end is that they were, the, the Scots were sort of played out. Um, I, one highlight was when Penno took that ball off on the wing and he, he was just about to turn the afterburners on and he looked across and saw the second row and just went, now nah, walk. Just walks in down the touchline. We so. um we said it after the England Scotland game when England was spinning the ball wide really early about how you've got to earn the right to go wide, and that's exactly what what France did. Um, which is why their tries were scored by other than the first one, which came from a break that they just followed up fantastically. Their tries were winger, outside centre, inside centre, and two for the winger, um, because they yeah. earned the right to go wide, and then. They do the bits that you could call flashy, you could just call clinical um, uh, to, to score the tries. I think um, Scotland are basically Northampton Saints with an anthem. Oh, interesting analogy. <laughs> and Explain. France are probably the best side in the world at the moment. Yeah. I don't think um, there's, a, there's any doubt. There's any doubt in, in that, is there? I don't think. Um, yeah, I think. Um, Scotland can beat anyone on their day, but they don't have enough days and they're a bit easy to push around. And Finn Russell, while Mercurial, is so far and away better than anyone else on that team that it renders him a little bit sort of mute, if if that makes sense. Like, I don't think... Who played 12 in that game? Yeah, and I just don't think you've you've obviously got some really good players in that back line, but I think if you're going to play Finn Russell, you almost want Hutchinson to play as well. So you've got someone sort of that thinks at that level. Because I think Tupelotu is just a bit of a bosher, right? And then who was 13? Harris, I'd imagine. Harris. Chris Harris, yeah. But Harris, I, yeah, Harris went off injured quite early. Went off at half time, didn't he? Yeah, I just think you either need to commit to the commit to the Maverick like Saints do and accept that you're going to have days where it just doesn't work or you just, you have to go in a different direction. I think then it's absolute lunacy for them not to be picking uh, Hutchinson. It does seem a bit odd considering what he can offer in in attack when you consider the other options that they've got. I mean, they could, Chris Harris could legitimately play 12 in in that sort of straight line runner role. Um, with yeah, Hutchinson I think that would, that, that would be a more a, a, a more of a balance. Look, to be honest, that if Scotland think that they're above picking Hugh Jones and, and Rory Hutchinson because these players are better, whether or not they're better because they're actually based in Scotland is another thing. But... Um, I, you're not going to tell me that Hugh Jones and Rory Hutchinson aren't a better option than what they're putting out at the moment. Yeah. 
I mean, I'd have I, Chris, think... I, I would have Chris Harris in, in that centre. I, I, I am impressed with him, but he's not. Well, wouldn't you keep Harris at thirteen anything. though? <clears throat> I don't know because that what his sort of USP is that he defends that channel so well, isn't it? Mm. Um, so, but yeah, you know, Hugh Jones, for example, could easily play at twelve. Um, I thought the whole idea of him coming back from the Stormers was that Scotland were going to make him into... Well, it was, the but then he clearly, clearly wasn't good enough. Well, I don't know. I, I just think um, international rugby and winning tournaments, which has got to be what it's about. It can't be about winning a couple of autumn international games. It has to be Six Nations or World Cups. Relies on a degree of consistency, and I don't think Finn Russell's ever going to give you that. I don't think. So you suggest they leave him out? I actually think he he potentially holds Scotland back. I think when they play Hastings there, they're they're more likely to win more games. They might not have the try of the year contenders, but I think they're probably a more consistent side. Is that is that you saying then that they they would be better of a of a sum of more equal parts as opposed to having a superstar with other people that maybe can't do as much as he can or and or expects him to do. I, I I kind of see him a bit like Cipriani in terms of there's absolutely no doubt about his talent and, and the fact that he potentially sees things that other people don't see, sees opportunities. But I think sometimes he sees things when they're not there um, and he forces things when they're not there and doesn't accept that giving the ball to a crash ball 12 or doing a couple of forward runs around the corner and then a straight set of hands is as valid a try as doing a crossfield kick or a triple miss pass or a whatever. Um, that's just my take on it. And I, I would rather have somebody who manages a game much better um, and is, is more consistent. I, I think he's a liability. It's an interesting, it's an interesting point. I don't, you can't thing is imagine the hell up if Finn Russell if you if, oh. if they were to turn around and say you know we're not going to play our we're best player you, we're going to put you well, on the bench they've, they've done it once yeah yeah and where did it go for them? yeah um, I, I think I, I can see Phil's point but I think you do have to play the guy um, because if 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 as uh, like Doug says if he's if he's playing with a sort of supporting cast that don't quite match him, then they aren't going to win at all without him. So, you know, he's not perhaps, uh, he's not, again, he's not, not my favourite 10 doing the rounds, but, you know, I think Scotland have won some games with him there and I think he's their best chance of, of carrying on doing so. I just think that, it seems to be a side that changes a lot. I don't know if it's due to injury or or selection, but you know that back row was fairly standard for a while. But the second row seemed to change a lot. Um, there's a lot of centres. Like you, you could probably name six or seven Scottish centres um, that have played in go, the last few go, years. Go on then. Well, I, well, I can't mention <laughs> the one that's played in this game. The two, the two that played. Sam Johnson. Yeah, so you got the two that did uh, it. Bennett, Scott, Hugh Jones, Hutchinson. Yeah, so you're up to seven already. Is that enough? Yeah. 
Um, I mean, I I just had a quick look, and actually, uh, Racing haven't won the French Championship since Finn Russell's been there. And yes, that's not all entirely down to him. But yeah, to me, he wins you games, but he doesn't win you championships. That's interesting. Did they win? Did they win the Champions Cup? I know no. they lost to Exeter. No, they the lost to Exeter in, in twenty twenty. They lost to Leinster in the final in twenty eighteen. I mean, we're not we're not putting there. We're not putting all by any means putting all of this on Finn Russell's shoulders. But I think what no. you're doing is illustrating that wider point. I think, is that yeah. I think I think you're absolutely right, Bill, that he won't win you tournaments. But then when does Scotland win tournaments? So Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. But their aim has to be not coming fifth in six nations. Coming third or fourth would be a bonus. I mean England came fifth last year, didn't they? So they did. You know, yeah. That's just what happens. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we'll talk about uh, another Scottish star of the show. Um, unfortunately for him, he happened to be in white at Twickenham. Um, before we get into the actual game, and we talked, I think we talked about him previously. Who did he referee in the autumn? Was it Australia, Wales? He refereed in the autumn and he gave a couple of baffling decisions then. Mike Adamson, is, is there a worse referee in international rugby than Mike Adamson at the moment? Or are we doing, is it, are we being a bit hard? Or am I being a bit harsh there? Because I think you're being a bit harsh. I, I just think I, I can't remember the last game of international rugby where Twitter wasn't bombarded with dickheads complaining about marginal um, offsides or marginal headshots or, you know, it just, I don't think he's a bad referee. I just think, a lot of um, a lot of arseholes like to just bash refs when their team loses. Yeah, but I, I I'm, think not, I'm not. We we won the game. I'm not. I'm not bashing him because we lost. I'm right from minute one. I just thought he was fussy. I thought his refereeing of the scrum was just abysmal. I thought. I thought he. I thought he. Say ruin. He he slowed the game down for both sides to almost a snail's pace. And that just seemed to suit England more. I think that's absolutely true. I think the game actually had quite a nice rhythm for the first 15, 20 minutes. And then the the second part of the first half was almost unwatchable because he was was being really fussy. I mean, there was three minutes. Yeah, well, and there was a lot of dick fingers going on, wasn't there? No, no, no. There was literally no rugby for the first three minutes. There was a, was a kickoff that went dead. Then a scrum, and it took three minutes before that scrum was complete. Five percent of the game, no, not five percent, three percent of the game gone without and they a lost single what? bit of rugby being played. Was it two, two or three? Yeah, three they, the yellow they, card, they lost two, well. two and a half minutes of the yellow card, and nobody touched the ball because it just kept being the but, scrum. But on Doug's point, I think you know, 
he must be a half decent ref- referee to have got this far. And, and we've had fussy referees before, and you you knew if you got um, our friend Jacko that you're in for a stop-start sort of fussy game. And it's just that it's just an irritant that we kind of got apart with. I didn't think he was very good on the day. And I've never seen a referee change his mind so much in a game. I think about three times you thought there was going to be a scrum or a line-out and suddenly Do you see, wait, was a penalty that, or a scrum to the other side. Or... That's because the, that's the assistant referees making the decisions for him. And that to me is a sign of a poor, a poor referee. Because he's missed things. But to I, I think he is probably on a par with most of the referees out there, but he would always look considerably worse because of the scrum issue. If you exclude scrums, I think he's probably on a par with most of the rest of them, but he had absolutely no control over those scrums. He made the wrong decision multiple times. Um, There was no flow to them at all. You could see the front rows just not being happy with, with the speed at which he was, um, he was, he was going through the motions. And the thing, the, the gap between the bind and the set was unbelievably long. And you could tell by the way he was giving the decisions. You know, most referees, know. yeah, well, you know, you, you hear about front row people that have played lots of front row say about referees that it is, you know, a lot of it is is guesswork. And a lot of it is, you know, within the laws, you could, you could give a, a penalty either way it most scrums whenever a scrum goes down. So they're basically just, you know, kind of, kind of making it up. Like the, the penalty he gave against Sinclair for, for standing up when England had an attacking scrum five metres out. What has Sinclair got to gain by standing up at that point? You know, why, why when Gensh, um, not Gensh, when Jones takes a scrum down, um, and he says, oh, Genji's, Genji's knee was down when the replays quite clearly showed that Wynne Jones dragged it down first. Now, I get that he's only got one look at that and he has to make a decision. Fine. But repeatedly getting it wrong and then compounding it by getting it wrong again and again and again. It just... but, yeah. So when you when you have a front row, both front rows that are stable and then two seconds later, they start becoming unstable and then you stop and reset it because it's unstable. You've got to start thinking, are these people actually physically capable of holding themselves in that position for that length of time? Because it's well, not, they're, they're not stood up. They're not in a natural position. They are, they're in an unnatural position and relying on on core muscles to hold them no, in a position. But You can only do it for about yeah, a second and a half. Yeah, yeah. But again, like it was, it was around, it was the different bits and pieces like, oh, England free kick against for an early engagement. And then you could see Wales visibly sit back on their haunches and, and, and not accept, not um, engage the contact to make it look like England had gone early. And then similarly on the flip side, and, I, and I'm not just saying this was all against England. It was both ways, but he, he, he he didn't have a grip on it to such an extent that the front rows, I felt the front rows could just manipulate any given situation at, at any time. And and the it, that to me isn't the mark of somebody who's actually in charge of a situation. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, anyway, sorry, yeah, make you make you find a point about Mike Adamson because then I'm gonna we need to. No, on. no, there isn't a final point. Oh, well, other than actually, there's. 
it's it's very um there's a bit of, there's a large amount of victim mentality going out uh, at the moment from the Welsh people who think that Mike Adamson cost them the game and this is my final point on Mike Adamson Mike Adamson didn't cost Wales the game Wales cost themselves the game because they were pretty shit yes they yes. they were pretty shit and I, and I'll get into Eng- that England were moderately shit less Wales were, Wales were more shit England were less shit and and I'll come on to why in, in a second but the the my the I've said this before and I'll say it again the way to get scrums being better is to stop the amount of scrum penalties make them free kicks make them whatever it might be stop it being penalties because because teams are literally going in with the sole objective of getting a scrum penalty and then moving on if you if you are absolutely crucifying a scrum and walking all over them and dominating to that point fine it's a penalty because they can't cope with it but when it's when it's just going down, let it. If it goes down once, it's a warning. Goes down twice, a free kick. We get the game started again. There's so much time wasted at scrums, it shouldn't happen. Or just turn the clock off until you get a scrum right. This clock is off. Stop it. And I don't disagree with that. I just think the refs have to look at their, how they're contributing to what's happening with the scrums. On that first, that very first scrum. On the second reset, he should have pinged somebody and given a penalty. Yeah, it's and set the tone. It's set the tone. They wouldn't have pissed about. But equally, he needed to be a damn sight quicker. Yeah, it set the tone for the for the whole game. Anyway, right, let's get on to the reasons why Wales are so shit and England are only moderately less shit. Um, let's let's start with uh, England's attack formation, Doug. Um, yet again. England flattered to deceive with with backs moves that looked pretty but didn't really go anywhere. Um, we've talked about straight line runners. We've talked about Tuolagi. How do England get around this problem where they seem to be so reliant on Tuolagi yet never have him available? Change the fucking coach. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> because his ideas are rubbish. And his game plans are rubbish. And the fact that he can't keep a coach happy for longer than six months. So there's no continuity in the way England are playing. Like, Ireland have, have had the same sort of through line within their first squad for, what, half a dozen years, 10 years? Um, they've yeah. gone from Farrell, from the bloke that Farrell replaced, Farrell, you know, um, he was involved in Leinster, all those players. It's a long-term strategy. Exactly. With England, it seems like our strategy is we'll hire the person that's willing to work with Eddie Jones and we'll stick with him until he's not prepared to work with him anymore. Then we'll get rid of him and we'll change the way we play again. We'll change our attacking structures. Somebody else will come in. And it just leads to this sort of amorphous blob of an attacking structure that just doesn't have any... Can you you remember at the end of the um, last Six Nations when England came fifth and um, in the RFU and Eddie Jones had or England rugby and, and Eddie Jones had to sit down to decide whether he stays in his job. He turned around and he blamed the coaches, the other the assistant coaches and said we're going to get new assistant coaches in who are going to change things. Well, it, it shows that there's no strategy basically, like Manu hasn't played for consistently for England since the World Cup, right? And even in the World Cup he probably wasn't at his best. Yet the bloke's been out injured all season, yet he 
he comes back, plays 20 minutes, and he's straight into the starting lineup. That shows you and that tells you that there is no plan with England. There's no plan. Yeah. It, it's get Manu in because we need him, because our attacking structures aren't thought out. They're, they're, they're just waiting for that big lump to go into the middle so they can just bosh their way through without, you know... You would think that it's a fool's errand to base your entire strategy and game plan around a bloke who's available one in 20 internationals. But that, that seems to be what we're doing. That, that whole um, blob that you were talking about, Doug, the, the sort of England attack, there's a lot of um, passes, you know, pulled deep behind runners that are trying to fix the defence. Um, and unless you've got someone who's going to fix the defence, then it doesn't really work and it just well, ends up pushing you wide and backwards, which ha- happens all the time. And, and Slade and Daly or Slade and Marchant or wh- whoever you're going to put in the midfield, you know, Farrell and Slade, for all their qualities as a rugby player, they don't make the defence think too much. So when, when they're looking for, a, you know, a dummy runner... To, to sort of shield the ball that's going um, wide, you know, later because it's coming from deep. The the defence, they see Farrell or Slade come in on a crash ball and they just think, well, one of us can probably deal with him. He might make a little bit of ground, but one of us can deal with him if he does get the ball. So they, it doesn't really fix the defence particularly. But when, when Tuilagi is playing, or if he ever does play, they can't take that risk and it, it just it's it makes them all stop and think and some you know a lot of the time you'll have two players not following the ball because they're they're too worried about the sort of lump coming towards them um but it's as you say they just don't have a replacement to, to, that's fit to make that work ben, i ben, mean ben we're, we're talking about international rugby players here if someone if if manu tuolangi is all it all is required to break international defences, then every country in the world would have that player because he, well, he's yeah, just yeah, every, great, that's all like but uh, every every good yeah. team in the world has had a player like Manu Tuolangi. Yeah, I'm I'm agreeing with you, Doug. I, I I just think they need a player of that type. And if it isn't him, they've got to work out who it's going to be. Now I hate to agree with Eddie, but the the, the most likely candidate to me looks like um, Dan Kelly at Leicester. Yeah, I agree with um, that. I agree Kelly should be getting a sniff. But here's my point. We have unbelievably good players in this country who we just refuse to, as an international team, put our faith in. If you're a centre playing for England, you know you're on borrowed time because the second Tuolang is back, he's in. And it doesn't matter what you do. And I don't care what you say psychologically at that level, if you know you're there borrowing a seat, you're not going to be giving your it, best best impression because you're scared of fucking up. It's got to make you wonder. Mark Atkinson is what, 31, 32, right? What is the point? What is the point in having Mark Atkinson called up to that England squad and then released every Wednesday or Thursday or whatever it is back to Gloucester? Like he's not 
he's not going to learn anything. He's not going to, what, what is he going to contribute? Right. What, why not have someone like Dan Kelly? Why not keep hold of Luke Northmore? Why not, why not have these young lads in the squad? I know Northmore has been in it. Um, if you're going to release them, at least they're, they're, they're getting time with the squad. They're getting that experience. But the England team and the England squad for so long feels like such a jobs for the boys, proper old boys club. Like the, the likes of my, once you're in, you're in. You're a bit like the England cricket team almost where, it, you know, you, you're safe. You know, you can't, we can't go there. And, and there are certain players that continue to, to get picked and, you know, I'll use Joe Marchant as an example. Now, I don't think Joe Marchant has ever had a really good game for England. He's never had an outstanding game for England. Yet he consistently gets picked because he's been consistently good for Harlequins over a period of time. But he's never he's never broken it. He's never made a, a specific position his own. He's played a bit on the wing played a little bit of centre, but he's never, never really shone. Um, there are, there are others. Elliot Daly has played all around the back three now. Like Eddie's favourites that have been in and out and, and sort of hanging about while there are these talented younger lads now coming through where actually, if we're going to progress as a nation, if we're going to, we're going to move forward and compete at the next World Cup, we need these guys need to be playing international rugby now. That's the whole point. Then coaches talk about World Cup cycles. They talk about, oh yeah, we're planning for the World Cup. We're, we're you know we're looking forward to the future. Yet he's fucking picking Mark. It's horseshit. It's horseshit. It's horseshit. He's not planning. He's, he's not planning for the World Cup. I'm sorry. The world the World Cup's literally a year away. He's had three years to plan for this World Cup, and he's still picking Ben Youngs. He's still picking players who. He's still putting all his faith into Alangi. If he was preparing for the World Cup, what should have happened after that World Cup final is a load of players got jettisoned, and they haven't. You know for a fact Marcus Smith is on borrowed time because as soon as Farrell's back, he's out. Well, that's that's like a media narrative as well, isn't it? Like, like I think they keep Joe, giving Joe Marcus Marlowe Smith... will probably say another three or four times it is not playing for England anymore, and then as soon as the World Cup comes around, he'll, he'll go, you know... It, there is no competition in this England side. It is Eddie Jones's boys and everyone else. And he picks people to give lip service to players that are playing well. Oh, you've, done, you've done really well for six months. Here you go. Have a call up, get your kit and go home to your club on Wednesday. That That's what's happening. And I personally know, for, like, if we get to the World Cup final, it, it, it will be a minor miracle. But if we do, it will be despite Eddie Jones. It won't be because of anything he's done because I can't tell what we're trying to do as a nation, as a, as a rugby nation. I cannot explain what we are trying to do as as a as a sort of mentality or or um, direction as an international team. We just what what do we do? We're not we're not a power team. We're not a finesse team. We're we're just nothing. We're just aimlessly yeah. hunting yep, yep, the ball yep. away over and over again. We we can't break a team down. Wales are shit and they scored three tries against us. So we can't defend. It I mean it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing as an England I, fan. I totally agree. Like we don't have much of an identity at all. Like 
when when they look when England looked good in that game, it was when they had forwards running well off nine and ten. That that was when they looked good, when they were a bit more direct. Um, but you know, at the risk of sounded a bit like a broken record because I'm boring everyone that will listen about this at the moment. But I mean, I just think that we've got so many players that don't have a set position. Like, who are the best centres in the tournament at the moment? You know, it's probably Ringrose. Um, and Fifiku, well, they're all centres and, and, and they're probably outside centres or inside centres. You've got Ringrose, you probably wouldn't play him anywhere else on the pitch. He's a, he specialises as an outside centre and he's really good at it. Um, and England's best two backs, probably Smith and Stewart, the only two that could probably only play in the position they're playing in. Whereas every other back we've got could probably play in three or four positions. And it, 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 they're really good rugby players, but I mean, Daly, how many caps has Daly got? 50 or 60 caps? What is his best position? We still About don't know. 40 too many. His best position yeah. is but, Eddie Jones's boy. No, so I, <laughs> I think we're being a bit unfair here on the, the players. I think we're being a bit unfair here on Daly, a bit unfair on Marchant, because I think if when Daly came in, he was a 13. And if he would have stayed as a 13, I think he'd be a bloody good 13. And it's Eddie Jones that has screwed up the players by shifting them around all over the place. Because yeah. he really doesn't believe I in completely them. agree. Yeah. He, like, he doesn't believe in them. That's and why. he makes and he makes the players worse as a result. Or or I think actually he goes, here's a really good player. Let's see how we can get them into the team. Which is totally the wrong yeah. like there's there's so many parallels between the way Eddie Jones coaches England and the way we coach Newquay Hornets under 13s. But we're trying to shoehorn 18 players who can play rugby and six players who are relatively useless into a team of 13. So players need to play multiple positions because we just don't have cover. So we do have somebody who plays six and also plays 12 or or equivalent. But this is England. They can pick people and they can go, Elliot Daly, you're an outside centre. I'm going to play you as an outside centre. And now I think his defence has got 100 times worse since Eddie Jones has gone, no, you're a fullback. No, you're a winger. No, you're a fullback. No, you're, now you're going back into the centres. Because I don't think he knows what he's doing. I think he's, he's just, his in his head is all messed up in terms of how am I defending? Or oh, wait a minute, what position am I? Which channel am I doing? But for all of that, we still don't have a bloody 12 in the squad. We do not have an inside centre in that squad. Yeah, a specialist is this proper just 12. the ultimate long game from Jones to destroy English rugby from the inside? Potentially, he's doing a good job of it. But I mean, I we on the, on the Twitter any... group chat, we listed five or six, maybe not five, six, four or five players who could do a really good job at 12 for England. I think he's making Marcus Smith look distinctly average by not giving him a 12. Um, and as a result, I don't think we're seeing the best of Smith. Um, I think he's just, yeah. We talked about it with Finn Russell as well, about the importance of Finn Russell having a good 12 outside him. It's it's such an integral position and we haven't got a single one in the squad. Mark Atkinson won't be there for the next, well, he might be there for the next game, but he, he went off the pitch injured for Gloucester. So he might Mark, be there. Mark Atkinson, right? Mark Atkinson is not the answer. He Why is... not? If he's our, I, th- I think I think Ben's right that Dan Kelly is the answer. But if he's our best twelve, why not play him as our best twelve? 
Well, he's our what from what you're saying is he our, he is our only twelve in the squad. Yeah, who else is there that's a twelve in the squad? Well, there isn't, but that but that's my point. He's not the is he the best or is he the only one? But but well, I we could spend ages talking about who's better, him, Kelly, Devoto, if he was fit. I can't remember the other names that were mentioned, but there are options out there. We spent a lot of time using Ollie Lawrence in that role to give Farrell an option there. And now he's discarded and forgotten about. Like, I mean, but again, like, so Ollie Lawrence, I don't know what his fitness status is at the moment, but he went from being a bit of a one-man wrecking ball for Worcester and everybody going, right, this lad, him and Tuolangi can be one and the same. As in, right, if one's not available, the other one is in and vice versa. Share minutes, they can do this, they can do that. And it feels like Eddie Jones has single-handedly ruined Ollie, Lor- Ollie Lawrence. Not, and whether he has or not, I you know, can't say for certain, but from, a, from an outsider's perspective, ever since Ollie Lawrence was in the squad and barely played, didn't he, didn't he play like 70 minutes of a game at 12? Yeah, and didn't and, touch the ball. And basically didn't, t- or was it 13 yeah. outside Farrell and he did not touch the ball? Yeah, he had like two carries for two metres for the whole game. Because um, Ford and, that was when England... That was when Ford and Farrell were kicking England's identity it. was to kick the ball. But now, when was the last time England were, were, were really good was when they had Brad Barrett there at 12. Yeah, because he was just like, uh, I mean... And he's, uh, and he's so one-dimensional and Yeah, but... He, but he was very good at being one-dimensional yeah, and predictable. But, but he also allowed the people that could play to play. Yeah, because he was defenses by by using that, and we don't have anybody that manipulates. So it's that it's that dependability to say, right, you know what, we've got this guy who's a blunt force instrument at twelve, right? He doesn't do much else. He's not going to distribute. He's going to be our every time we get the ball at ten, he is going to run a fucking hard line, either on the shoulder. Or on the switch. Sometimes he might get it. Sometimes he might not. But he is always, always, always going to run that line. And you hold two defenders. Yeah, well, you 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 might even hold you you'll hold at least one. Which at the moment, I don't even think England hold one defender because they know that all they have to do is get on the drift. Which leads me on to how Wales and, and I saw a piece on, on Twitter. Um, I can't remember who it was. I'll find out and, and I'll shout them out for it. But Wales is rap defense and um, Alex Cuthbert in particular, single-handedly ruined any sort of ability England had to even go wide, which then forced Slade and um, Daly to take the ball into contact. Cause every time when we played Italy, that Maury um, on the wing was really passive, held back. Smith threw that ball in front of him. Uh, Marchant ran round him. Um, not Marchant, Malins ran round him. Um, whereas Cuthbert was, every single time Cuthbert was on the rush and he shut down every single bit of that space. Um, I wanted to, you know, there's been a bit of chat about Cuthbert. He he was... his the best game I've seen. He was, he was at... Lions, Australia Lions 2013. Yeah. Tim said to me, he said he thinks we've been very harsh on him over the years. We we, and, uh, we, we really have because he, he went from, and, but he went from that player in that Lions series in Australia 
where he scored those tries and he was he was brilliant. Him and North on either wing were almost unplayable. Yeah. Um, and he was popping up in the centres. He was running channels. He was running shoulders. And then he disappeared and he and he went to Exeter. And I know he suffered with a lot of injuries. Um, and I saw a piece on online about some Exeter saying, oh, how, how Exeter have rejuvenated Cuthbert's career. And I'm like, Ooh. fucking turn it in. All right. You know, but... But the year off probably did the best. Well, most yeah, the fact, that he, the fact that he's barely, you know, he barely played a match for three years probably helped. But he was very, very good. And he, his, his wide wrap to cut off that space when England, whenever England went that way, just completely made England, England's already blunt attack look even worse because they couldn't even go wide quickly because he just cut it off completely. Oh, that was that was quite depressing, wasn't it? Positive. There were positives. positives. Let's go. Po- let's 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 start talking so, about some positives. Nick Tompkins, as we've said, very good. The, <laughs> <laughs> as we've said for the last hundred years, when England get fast ball, they can look dangerous. So when, like I say, they were just playing very simple forwards running off nine and ten. They actually looked pretty decent at times, um, and. Laws, Laws and Ataje were their usual brilliant selves, absolute menaces. And and Dombrant, I thought, had it definitely, well, I mean, he's not got a lot of games for England, but it was his best game for England for sure. Um, but it, it was interesting. He, that try he scored, he'd already read one, one of those, one that went over the top, and it got called back by the referee. Um, so... Wales probably should have known better. I know there was, there's some debate about the line out, but that can get in the sea. Um, but <laughs> there's a lot of um, there's a lot of salty Welsh knocking you've, about. You've it, got yeah. you've got a linesman stood right behind the hooker. You've yeah. got a referee stood directly in line with it, and you've got yeah. a TMO that would have checked it as well. But, yeah, but Gwyntaf from Ponticlani or wherever <laughs> saw something. Ponticlit. Yeah, he he saw somebody somebody um, cock tap Adam's beard. Yeah, right before he did it, so yeah. it's probably delayed. But, absolute helmets. The lot he didn't, there was no lifter. It's, it's that pure and simple. They cocked up the line out. Yeah. Well, what I like about Don Brandt though is he's he's got a brain. Yeah. Um, and you know he's not the most athletic looking back row forward in the world, but he gets his share of turnovers, runs lovely lines. I mean, lost count of the number of sort of no look inside passes that he was taking off Smith. Um, and you know he will occasionally he reminds me a bit of ben morgan yeah that's a decent comparison he's not the most athletic of of players but he reads the game well he he tends to be in the right place at the right time he's mobile Um, quicker than he looks yeah quicker than he looks he's got an engine so he's got the ability like fitness wise he keeps going like he doesn't he doesn't tend to kind of drop off you know when in a bit of a sort of sad sack where you see a big, a big lad who, who's good for 60 minutes and then, it's, yeah. then so it's done. I thought, I thought, I thought he was a definite positive and, and to be fair, you know, again, it's a player we've knocked a few times, but I thought Yules did all right. Yeah. And um, probably Gen- Genji's best game for England as well. I, I would say um, the, 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 the bit of play where he, he Wales broke from their 22 and he, he, he tracked it back. <laughs> Lee, he ch- chased Liam Williams. Uh, Liam Williams didn't get away he, from him, did he? Yeah, he didn't actually make the tackle, but he closed the space down so well. I thought that was a really good bit of play. Um, and I think you, you really do have to 
take your hat off to Falatau as well. You know, having been injured for that long, I thought he was exceptional. Yeah. Um, there was a bit of chat on our group. Some of the boys thought he might be overrated. And at the time I thought, oh, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Ben, you're, 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 um, you're being a bit disingenuous there. They thought he was bit, he was overrated when somebody, and I can't remember who it was, said that, uh, it might have been Stephen Jones, said that he's the best number eight to have ever played rugby union. That's that's why we thought yeah. he was overrated. And actually, uh, okay, well, I don't think I don't think overrated was the word used. It's the fact that having not played rugby consistently for the last two years, for him to come in, for him to to come in, play eighty minutes at the level he did in a in an international test match of of that magnitude as well. And he didn't he didn't hide away either, did he? He was in the thick of it a lot. Yeah. Um, it was an what, what is so good ball. about him? What is so good about him? And you know, he has a lot of ball skills and flashy plays. He just does stuff so well. Like when he, when he gets tackled, he just presents the ball really well, and and just all, all the basics he does really well. I mean, someone did say that he wasn't the best number eight in his family. <laughs> yeah, somebody did say that. Yeah, that wasn't me. <laughs> I mean, I would argue that he is now. Um, yeah. But you know. I think he's a far more complete rugby player than Billy. I think Billy's got like a shock value, whereas whereas um, Balatau is an all, a real all-rounder. I know which one I'd rather play with. Play alongside. <laughs> I mean, are you going to say Billy? No. Oh, fair enough. No, um, I, like, I like playing with people with high work rates. Because <laughs> you don't have one. Exactly. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, any Anything else on, on England? Any any observations? I will say, I know you mentioned Charlie Yours. We've been quite um, uh, disparaging, whether that's the right word to use, about Ben Youngs. I thought actually Ben Youngs coming on when he did, when England were, they needed settling down a yeah. little bit they needed a bit of territory think, they needed to just get out of their own 22 for a bit i think he actually did a really good job uh, at that when he came i on. think that was the right move and and a scrum half i was talking to yesterday a, a pretty decent one uh said he thought randall needed to work on his fitness as well really um, yeah so um it's not something i know so monkey so Dave? i don't claim any credit for it it, it wasn't no no I, I won't say who it was but um <laughs> Yeah. Um, why not? I don't want to. There, there <laughs> is right, to protect them from what Matt knowing. <laughs> I actually thought Thomas Williams um, was was better than Harry Randall. There, there the is day. no doubt, though, um, and I'm not saying that Harry Randall's a better scrum half than Ben Youngs, but there is no doubt that Harry Randall's speed of ball away from the rug is considerably quicker than Ben Young's, even at Ben Young's quickest. I don't that, think they're two of the top five scrum halves in England. Uh, who are the other five then? Uh, Alex Mitchell, uh, Rafi Quirk, and... Dougie uh, Andrews. I, I actually like Charlie Chapman from Gloucester. Right, so that's three. Yeah. You said you don't think they're two of the top five? Okay, I meant I don't think they're. Yeah, you know what I meant. 
But fair enough. I mean, I I don't know what's happened, whether to Quirk, because in the autumn he was... Oh, Spence, Spencer and um, Spencer and Robson. There you go. Yeah, Spence, Spencer's coming back into form. Did you did you not see the tackle Quirk made in the to save yeah, a try? Yeah, I was there, mate. I was, yeah, <laughs> I um very much saw it, and it was incredible. Yeah. Um, the video of it where he he comes across, and he, it, he almost goes horizontal at shoulder height of uh, the Irish winger to make the tackle. It's, it's quite incredible, really. Um, one other thing on the game, uh, I just wanted to quickly talk about Wales. I think, I think Wales are going through that kind of rediscovery phase that um, Ireland, Ireland, went, went Ireland went through a couple of years ago. And the reality is this, this Six Nations almost a bit of a write-off for them. Um, it's not write-off. It's, it's, it's part of a learning journey for them. Um, and, and actually they are probably trying to work towards the World Cup. Um, slightly different patterns, slightly different systems. They take people a while to get into, uh, but they were shit. Yeah. I wish England would go through that sort of level of discovery. Evolution. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Evolution, not revolution, some, I think they call it, isn't it? Change. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. Um any other any other bits on on England or Wales? Anything glaring that we've missed? Um, I will say I know the media. Go on. There was just one um, high ball that Stewart came. Oh, hub with Falatau ran forward and it took, got me a little bit hard. Took over the top of Falatau and then he made about ten meters through contact and and yeah, it just made me feel funny. I could. I, I remember watching it. I remember that exact moment of the game, and I just remember I, I audibly heard Ben from about seven villages away just go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Give it up, Lynn. Never going to meet him. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that was class. And and the other thing I just wanted to mention is uh, Lawrence Delalio and the media and ITV Sport and anybody else. Can you stop giving player of the match, man of the match to Marcus Smith, please, when he clearly doesn't deserve it? Just because he kicked the penalties to mean he scored 18 points or whatever it was on the day. Um, That's his job to kick those goals. Stop perpetuating the narrative that he is the second coming, except that he's a very, very good player and he can do some very, very good things. But there is no need to push that envelope so hard that you're giving him man of the match in a game that he clearly didn't deserve to be man of the match in. And we all know that that whole man of the match thing is a load of bullshit anyway, but he wasn't the best player on the pitch on the day. I think we can all agree on that, can't we? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, man of the match um, votes are often complete nonsense. I mean... You can have a well, it is. It was Lawrence Delalio's opinion. You, you can have a man of the match on the losing team. I don't understand why that never happens. But anyway. well, because they, yeah, they, well, to me, was man of the match. They, they do that to avoid um, awkward post-match interviews, don't they? Well, I know. think that is the. I think that is the sole reason that they don't pick somebody from the losing side and give him man of the match and say, "Yeah, you were really good, but your rest of your team was shit." Unlucky about that. Well, and Delalio did actually say that. I'm going to hold on for a few minutes because Wales are looking like they might come back and win this. Um, 
but it's all it's it's man of the match by stats and it just it, but it's not it's not a stats it it feels like it's the narrative that if they well, keep, it, if they continue to pick Marcus Smith then oh well the media are picking him Eddie Jones will continue to pick him in actual fact what will happen is it will go the other way <laughs> and as soon as Farrell comes back that'll be it uh, yeah, see, I reckon they've gone. He's got 18 out of 23 points. We'll have to give it to him. And it's that lazy. It it's is. very easy to give it to the to the fly half that gets the ball all the time, isn't it? You know, it's like giving MVP you, to the, you, it's like giving an MVP to, to, the, to the quarterback. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I take your point on Cuthbert and, and Falatau had a shout as well, but it was a Todje by, by Country Mile, the Blake's a menace. Um, you know, and it was from, from, almost minute one that kickoff that bounced yeah. and he just got hold of it and you know he, he must have won four or five penalties I think I just thought he was outstanding and and that was a problem for Wales is that they conceded a lot more penalties than they, they normally did. do against England first half um, they were they were riddled yeah they? um you know they, I think it's a very much a policy for them to not yeah uh, concede penalties and concede line outs I do, um, I do think um Again, go back to, to Twitter. The amount of salt from the Welsh regarding Atoji. Oh, he could be penalised all the time. He could do this. If a game was refereed properly, Atoji would never be on the pitch, forgetting oh, that he's a oh. six foot five black man and that, you know, and, he's pretty conspicuous. Calmly forgetting that Alan Wynne Jones has been cheating for 20 years. Yeah. Cheating, cheating a living. Right, right. Rugby players cheat. It's part of the game. Yeah, well, so absolutely. You can't yeah. really not then go on Twitter and complain about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how many times have we said, if if a referee wanted to, he could just blow his whistle really loudly and put his arm in the air either way at every single ruck. Yeah. And, and, no, and then we just wouldn't have a game of rugby. So, you know, basically shut your mouths. All of Wales. Thank you. Um, let's move and on. And Ireland. And Ireland, if you want. Um, let's move on to Ireland. Um, I didn't watch this yesterday. I read a lot of stuff about it. Uh, I mean, do we even want to get into how much of a farce it was with, you know, the hooker, the hooker went off injured, didn't he? And then the replacement hooker got sent off, meaning that they had to then go, not only go down to 13 players, but it was uncontested scrums. And after 20 minutes of the game, Nobody well, not really bothered, and watching. it's not only that you have to have three props as well. You have to have three front row players. So, hooker goes off injured, hooker gets red carded, winger gets swapped for a prop, and number eight has to go off as well. So, I kind of understand. Injured. I understand that so that teams can't specifically go uncontested scrums, and you know, but actually, to make for the good of the game, like it's a ridiculous, it's ridiculous law, and yeah, that I think. Um, I, I only really watched until that point um, or probably just after yeah. when um, when it kind of, it, it ruined it as a as a spectacle. But I thought up until that point, actually, I thought the ref was having a decent game. Um, yeah, I, don't, it, I mean, the and, ref and, didn't do and anything that, wrong necessarily. No, yeah, really. yeah. yeah. From yeah. what I saw, the ref had a decent game. I just didn't watch the other yeah, I think he did. minutes to know how, know how he did in the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, that that's not his fault and, and it's just, unfortunate that a law that was designed to combat something completely different just completely ruined it i mean it was basically a terrible i was gonna say he took he took 45 seconds to think about it and make sure he got it right as well 
which I was quite impressed with. Yeah. It wasn't just yeah. a, uh, no, you're doing this. But then that's a law. That's a law that was designed, yeah. like you say, Ben, to avoid something else, which people took used to take advantage of to stop them cheating. Yeah, in one way, as as come back, you know, for probably for the first time ever in international rugby, come back to bite someone else at different times. Yeah. So, and, and it was a terrible advert for rugby, and and you know they were down to twelve by the end, um, you know, and and you know in that situation that the team the winning team kind of loses interest a little bit as well, you know, because it, you could have easily pr- predicted that final score 15 against 15, didn't you? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I, I was, I was talking to some Irish friends and, and they were disappointed as well. They thought it was a bit of a farce and, 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 and they agreed it was, it was such a marginal red card as well. Wait a minute. Um, you've got Irish friends. I've got 104 friends. Fuck's sake. Um, but, you know, it was it was a marginal red card and I don't think anyone really picked that up until the TMO did. Like a, a, a genuine red card, you can usually see in live and see something bad has happened, whereas that just looked like a normal tackle and it, he just got it a little bit wrong. Um, so I think it was just a, a big shame for everyone involved, really. And you could, you could have made an argument it should have been a yellow. There was some mitigation going on. Yeah. But... My, my tolerance for watching Italy get battered for the third time in four weeks, you know, wasn't high anyway. And then watching 13 of them get battered, I, like Phil, I kind of tuned out on it and went and watched the world's longest football match instead. Fair enough. I mean, there's not much more that can be said about it, is there? It was a fucking shambles. I mean, so I mean so it, is, it is very much like no one really enjoys sport getting decided by technicalities. And that, was, that game was decided by a technicality. And going back to that football match, there were two goals ruled out because someone's hand was offside because yeah. the video picked it up. And it, it just seems to be that... It's discriminating against an, those people with hands. Yeah, well, it's just the overuse of the video replay, isn't it? Well, there, there was there was a lot of video replay controversy in in football over the weekend, wasn't there? And you know, mm-hmm. I think it goes back to the point that the it's the video stuff across all sports is not the problem. It's the fucking imbeciles that are making the decisions, looking at the pictures. Yeah, always it's the it's the people that are making the decisions. I, I don't think it's that. I, I actually think it's the imbeciles that watch the people making the decisions and then feel the need to microanalyze it. I mean, would they get microanalyzed if they actually looked at the pictures and made a correct decision? I mean, correct. We can we can argue around. You can't argue around the letter of the law, the way that the law is is written, but. When there, are, when there is a, a marginal call to be made, I think that there needs to be more benefit of the doubt. And when you, and the problem with slowing stuff down, especially in rugby, the minute you slow it down, it looks worse. Every replay should just be viewed at full speed. Dougie, um, yeah. Saints Chiefs yesterday, Grandona's pick and go from two or three metres out. Was it a try, yes or no? 
the problem you've got there is the way that the, the, the way the rule is written is that because the referee gave it as no try on field, there has to be conclusive evidence that there is a try. definitely scored. And I don't think from any of the angles that we were shown, it was definitely scored. Do you get the commentary as well? Yeah. Yeah, because the com- commentators were, um, I was looking at it on my phone, um, so not necessarily the best view of it. Um in a queue to get some diesel because people are muppets. Um, and yeah, the commentators were like, yeah, that's definitely, that's on the line. That's a try. Easy. Let's move on. Like that, that definite about it. They can't um, be that definite about it. It, it a looks, lot of arms and legs and, and yeah, I, I don't uh, think you could without, I don't think you could. I, I couldn't identify, I couldn't identify what was what. On looking no. on my phone screen, and that's why and I asked you. Like, that's why I asked you from somebody no, from, who have a bigger I was screen. Watching the whole thing, I think higher resolution. Angle, it looked to me from one angle like there was an arm underneath the ball or a hand underneath the ball. So, I think the thing with the B, BT stuff is that Austin is very quick to say that is definitely this. I mean, how many times in every game do you hear him say that should be a red card? That should yeah, yeah. be a red. Card. I mean, the, penalty, no. that's a yellow card. It's like. He, Not he that you should go 100% off the player's reaction, but his reaction was very much, yeah, it's down, it's no problem. Like, not, no, I'm not sure. It well, was, the, but yeah, the, the only person whose opinion actually matters, is the ref, yeah, yeah, or not, it's a try or not, is the referees. And the referee, yeah. I just the referee thought it was made reason. the decision harder for the t- TMO when he said, I've got no try on field. Yeah. Whereas if he'd have said try yes or no, evidence that it's definitely, and that and I don't understand that why when he admitted himself he's got no view of it, the linesman's on the wrong side and there's about eighteen bodies in the way. Why why not just say try yes or no and leave it up to the the TMO to make a call? But yeah, I just thought with in the in the conversation around use of technology, it was an interesting little side point. Well. Yeah, you've you've kind of segued into there, Doug. You wanted to talk about Saints Exeter anyway, didn't you? As you were, you were there. Um, there were there was some Premiership matches going on over the weekend. I didn't really watch any of it, um, but you were at um, the Gardens on Sunday, mm-hmm. and uh, you wanted to to talk about some stuff about it. Yeah, just a bit worried with the state of Saints. I, I just um, we had some words last week. I, you know. Um, we had a bit of interaction with Chris Bentley over the week intervening our last pod and the Saints match about uh, Josh Matavesi. I don't think... Sam Matavesi. Sam, sorry. Again, I thought he he played seven at the weekend. He had an all right game. He he, he was certainly not... um, For for not a seven. For not a seven, but you could tell he wasn't a seven. So, but in in answer to what we were saying, he was the last player on the pitch signing autographs on the day, and he signed every single one um, that he was asked for. So he's obviously a very nice man. Uh, so there you go. Um, in terms of Saints, we had that game in the bag. Some really worrying sort of Malinder level squad management. Now, I don't know how much influence um, who has over what 
what they do with with the subs. But we had Manny Yogan and Aaron Painter had effectively folded the Exeter Chiefs, not just their front row, but they folded the back row up as well on a on a scrum. Won a penalty, um, which precipitated an immediate change of the front row by Exeter. We then played for two or three minutes and then we brought off our front row and the game changed completely. Um, but in the intervening time, we had Alex Mitchell, who could barely walk, let alone run, ambling between rucks. It was so obvious that it was pointed out in commentary numerous times. Yet we leave him on and we've got a scrum half on the bench. Yeah. He ends um, up getting yellow carded for a dumb interception that he should never have gone for. We, we start losing the front row battle and then we just capitulate. And again, it's just another... If, if somebody can explain to me that decision to replace paint, don't like, yes, I can understand. Okay. Extra have changed their front row. So they're obviously going to have a, but they only change, they only change one of their front row. The other two stayed on. No, they changed all, they changed Yendall and, um, uh, the supposed greatest prop. Shick- Shickling. Shickling. Um, yeah. yeah he- Hepburn stayed on though. Didn't yeah. He? So two, if, two, if two, someone two, can explain yeah. to me why it was decided that that was the time, because, Yes, they might have been fresher in the extra front row, but Saints had all all of the mojo. Like, it can't be understated how knowing you've got a, a pack on toast, what that does for a, a player's physical abilities. You think you think so, that even those props, so even those props that are coming on fresh, that first scrum is going to be tough anyway. You know, yeah. because you've not up to the speed of the game. You've you know. And if you're up against a, a prop that's properly juiced up, as in he's got the blood pumping, he's got the bit between his teeth, he's he's just been literally scrummaging the arse out of his opposite number for 50 minutes or whatever it is. You don't like... you. That's not a great position to be for a prop coming on. And Can, can I just add a, straight a, away. a slight technical point here? Um, I think you should be talking about the front five, not just the front row, because Ribbons and Rutini would have helped quite a lot there as well against Kirsten and Jenkins. It was a free okay, front five. Well, but, I'd argue that Painter and um, Yogan probably had more to do with it. You don't, you don't push an entire pack backwards the way they were pushing them backwards without a decent push from your second Okay, well, rows. Ribbons and Rutini stayed on and we started going I'm, backwards. Yeah, Um all I'm trying to do is give them a bit of credit as well. Okay, well, fine. <laughs> um, Stop crediting people, Phil. Yeah, nobody well, likes it. I'm not. I'm not usually nice to people. I don't. I don't understand how a team that wants to win claims to be a top four team. Um, that's not how you win games. That's not how you win games. To to, and and like I say, Malinda was a absolute fucking master of it bringing off um tonga weir and uh majati and bringing on young props that ended up getting ethan waller broken yeah yeah (laughs) the savior's coming back Savior's coming back yeah all our scrum all our scrum prayers have been answered we've got ethan waller the second best waller (laughs) Um, yeah it's uh it was baffling and do you know what? 
I almost keyed through to the match director, Griff, who's a Welsh fella, who, um, lovely bloke, because he was saying, looking good, Dougie. And like, uh, was he, was he talking about you? No, no, about, about the Saints, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. I, I mean, I know I look good. It's slightly Hitlery, but good. Um, yeah, I almost keyed through to him and said, when we were six points up, this is the most saintsy score you can ever have. Six, six the, points the up, six two point minutes to go. Six points up with two minutes to go is the ultimate saint score. Like, you know you're going to lose from there. And sure enough, shit the bed. It's about the 10th game this year. I, I Genuinely, if you go back and have a look at how many points we've given up from winning positions, I'd say we could probably, had we had a spine or a DOR and coaching staff that knew how to manage a game, we'd be in the top four comfortably. But we we just don't. We, we are the least streetwise team, I think, that has ever played professional rugby. It's just dreadful. It's, yeah, they look pretty and they can blow teams away for 10, 15 minutes, but they are gutless. Shame. I don't know what the answer is. I, 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 my fear is that it may get worse before it gets better because I'm not having, I just don't, I don't see it in, in um, Phil Dowson. I just don't, I don't see it. Well, it's not, it's not just that, is it? It's the recruitment policy as well to, to come but through. Tell me what, it? tell me what problem Aaron re-signing um, Ethan Waller is solving. Because he, he doesn't even, he doesn't even start for Worcester. No, that's my answer. It, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly an interesting one. We, and, we uh, could have made... had Vincent Cock. Yeah, I don't know. I just um... the life and times of a. I know you said it last week, and. Supporting Northampton Saints must feel a lot like supporting Tottenham Hotspur. Which is, we went and beat Man City last Saturday night, went to Burnley on Tuesday and lose 1-0. Yeah, mate, it's the hope that kills you. And then and then beat Leeds 4-0 on, on Saturday lunchtime. Makes no sense, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. It, um, it, as I said, it's, it's the hope that kills you. Because we should have, um, excuse me, we should have beaten Sale um, at home. Can't remember what the result of that was. We lost, didn't we? We should have beaten them comfortably because we hammered them all over the pitch. We should have beaten um, Exeter this weekend. Exeter a bang average, by the way. We yeah, I have noticed that, that second, yeah. I say the second string Exeter side. Um, but the, the Exeter stalwarts are a lot more average than what you know they're still they're still trotting Don Armand out, who was, you know, pretty. He was a good Premiership player four or five years ago, and now he's sort of below average Premiership player. Mm. So the, their their game plan was always based around um, doing the basics really well, some strong physicality, um, pick and drive game, tying people in, and that becomes a lot more difficult with. Kirsten playing in the second row and David James as opposed to um or David Jenkins rather as opposed to Johnny Hill and Johnny Gray or 
um, Jeff Parling and Dave yeah. Dennis. Dave Dennis, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know, you just got to look. Oh. Witten, Hendrickson, Woodburn, Hodge. I mean, Hodge showed little bits, but he's not at the moment going to be a, a top class. He's not a top class Premiership fullback. He's, you know, it, Witten and Hendrickson are never going to set the world alight. You know, we're talking about to very turn slate. We you you talk about you talk about England pretend, like with with the centres that try and, and drift all the time. Well, Exeter with Witten and Hendrickson are just going to run straight at you. You know, just work. Hendrickson like English. He was bought. He is. He has got English. Um, parents, I think it's the first time I've seen him play. And when he was warming up, I thought I thought he was a second row. He is a lump. He's a big old boy, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, true. College boy, Tom Hendrickson, is he? Yeah, big hands. Born in New Zealand, big chickens in barns. Yeah. So yeah, but you're right. I think you know we we've talked about the the general standard of the, of the Premiership, which seems to have dropped a little bit over the over the course of the last few years in general, but. Um, but that just seems to be the way it is during international windows. Um, talking of international windows, like the Six Nations, I know it's kind of always been the way where you'd have some games. You have how many games was it? Two, three games break, one game break, two games. That's the way, that's kind of the way it is, isn't it? Because there's a break this weekend. But what's the point in this break this weekend, other than satisfying scheduling and? Drawing it out unnecessarily, yeah. maximizing sponsorship and TV. Why? Market. Why not? Why not just go right? We'll play three games. We'll have a week at week off for whatever reason. Then we'll play another three games. Done. Or another two games. Doesn't yeah. make any sense. We've played three yeah. games. Is it so they can get the last weekend around Paddy's Day? Might just be. Start a, week start, later. start a week later then. Yeah. Anyway, it's fucking bullshit. It's just unnecessary. Probably player safety. Um, there were some other games in the Premiership over the weekend. Uh, Friday night, war, Bristol beat Wasps. Uh, Sale London Irish. Doug, you you said you were at Sale London Irish on on Friday night. Anything um, significant to come out of that? Any anything you noticed? Anything that you wanted to bring up out of that, or was it? No, it's just a solid game. I mean, I feel like this podcast has been going on for nearly two hours already. Fair enough, right? Okay. Um, so I'm acutely aware of that. But no, it was a, it was a fun game. The first half was pretty shit. The, the best thing that happened was when Hepatima absolutely sent Aaron Reed into, well, he sent him into orbit via the post protector for the first London Irish try, which was, you know, it was, you know, it was big when uh, he scored a try, but all you could hear was the whole crowd going, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Love well that. worth having a look if you haven't seen it. He... <laughs> we'll find, we'll find that. Absolutely destroyed. Marmalised. <laughs> um, and then the BT game was Worcester against against Harlequins. Saturday was uh, Sarries against... Um, who was it? Sarries against... No, it wasn't. It was Tigers Gloucester and Newcastle Bath. And Bath got a win, Ben. You know, they're climbing the table steadily. Nearly. I mean, they could be above Worcester soon. Yeah. Come, come back, son. Yeah, not that it matters. 
Um, and then, well, it was, must have been Saracen's week off. Typical, isn't it? Fucking cheating bastards. Never mind. <laughs> I don't even... <laughs> ba- Baxter made that point said it was unfair that they don't get a rest week during the six oh, days, yeah, which Baxter... I just think is just whining nonsense yeah just but... shut up I mean we've we've descended into delirium a little bit and I don't really mean um, about Saracens being cheating bastards but I do really this episode is brought to you by Shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's move into any other business. Um, I'll go first because that gives you all some thinking time. Um, at what age, at what point of growing up, do people ever warn you about being a, a relatively middle-aged man where you get a spot on the inside of your nose? Have, ever, have you ever had a, like a, a, a blind spot or anything come up on the inside of your nose? Yeah. Jesus Christ. I don't think there's anything more painful. It is the um, most unbelievable thing. And it, I don't know. I think the rugby league player that ruptured a testicle and have a thing or two to say about that. I was going to say double, double hernia up was. Pretty I'm not. Small. I'm not having it. It's the fu- like. It's ridiculous. But <laughs> nobody warns you. Nobody warns you. Like even when you're a kid, you get spots on your face or whatever. Nobody warns you about a spot on the inside of your nose. Fucking carnage. There you go. That's my only other business. Doug. Um. <laughs> I mean, if I was still doing long snapper, I'd be saying something really profound about Ukraine, wouldn't I? <laughs> you know. I mean, we could talk about Ukrainians and holes in their underpants. <laughs> That's why you don't buy pants from the Ukraine. <laughs> you know why that is, Doug? No. <laughs> Chernobyl fallout. Don't tell me you've never heard that before. Of course I have. I just wanted you to say it. it? <laughs> um, oh, it's one of my favourite jokes. Yeah. <laughs> nice one. Um, any other business? I've completely lost my train of thought. Come back to me. Well, you said you were going to say something. If you were doing long snapper, you were going to say something profound about the Ukraine. Oh, yeah, but I'm not. Um, I basically didn't. Uh, that was it. I... I had my the lenslets on Saturday and uh went to the cinema to watch Spider-Man with my my young lad. 20 quid for two medium popcorns and two cokes. <laughs> where, where was that? City World <laughs> the the Odeon in uh Uxbridge. 20 quid. That's because it's Greater London. Unbelievable. The but, Odeon um, at Uxbridge. Wow. It was a, a real pleasure just to go and spend a Saturday afternoon with my lad at the cinema. Not, real treat, yeah. Um, no rugby, no, no interacting with mutants on Twitter. No thoughts of impending world disasters. Um, just an innocent day. It was, it was wonderful. It, it was in Uxbridge that I first encountered the um, gentleman. No, the gentleman in the toilet <laughs> of a nightclub. 
the no splash, splash, no gash, <laughs> yeah. no spray, no lay. It was, that was the first place I'd ever encountered. Freshen up it. for the Punani. Freshen up. Yeah, yeah. No Armani, no Punani. <laughs> no, yeah. no spray, no lay. And they, I can't remember what, they don't happen. Well, in the at, right? at, at the time, they at the Here, time. Come and get some. Come and get some Dolce and Gabbana. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got some right royal cow's muck. Um, <laughs> yeah, they didn't at the time. They didn't have them. Have those those gentlemen in Cornwall. And I remember, you know, sticking a quid on his uh, on his plate for a little spray of dupe, and away you go. Fake dupe at that. <laughs> you, I can't remember. Do you remember what the nightclub was called? I want to say it was night. like the Regal, Regal at Uxbridge. I can't remember. But if if you remember what the nightclub in Uxbridge used to be called, let me know. Don't know. If you if you could spend a whole night in the in the toilets in Sailors sober. You deserve the Victoria Cross, not a few pennies for selling <laughs> yeah. some aftershave. That, that's that's true. That is absolutely true. And do you remember, like around? I mean, this uh, this could go on forever. But around Greater London, there used to be these pubs that, on a Friday and Saturday night, would have would have strippers, and they'd wander around with an empty Hamlet tin, and you know, like the tin that used to buy Hamlet cigars in, and um they used to shake the tin and everybody would drop a quid in and then they would go up on stage and it would just be a normal pub and there would just be a stage in the corner. And then every 20 minutes or so, a scantily clad Eastern European lady would wander around with a, um, I think her name was Sonia um, <laughs> with, with a Hamlet tin shaking it and you put a quid in and then you do a little dance and then disappear. And then 20 minutes later, somebody else would, but from the outside, it was just a normal Pro- pub. Probably. Probably best in the caravan. Yeah, but, but I remember specifically there was one in Uxbridge called the Woolpack that uh, that we used to go to. <laughs> anyway, enough about my life, Phil. <laughs> um, I was going to say something profound about the Ukraine, and I suppose the the only vaguely profound bit is to say that um, I just feel desperately sad for all those people that are out there that are having to put up with a load of shit that they shouldn't have to put up with. Um, but two other sides to it. One is, can people stop just using it as a way of comparing things that are crap? Um, there's there's been a number of comments going, oh yeah, all this stuff about Ukraine, but what about this? What about that? What about that? Things can happen in isolation, and then you can have thoughts about them in isolation. What about all the refugees from Syria that are, that are coming across? Well, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Ukraine. Um, and you can deal with things independently. But also um, Johnny Mercer, the the Plymouth MP, um, put something on Twitter today. Um, uh, There was a load of Russians had driven an armoured personnel carrier somewhere into the Ukraine, um, gone to bed up for the night, and whilst they were bedding up for the night, local farmer came along with his tractor and towed it away and stole it. <laughs> I I genuinely there's, there's genuinely two separate videos of t- two incidents. So there's two uh, Russian armor personnel carriers that have been nicked by farmers. Uh, no, yeah, one was an air defense system. Okay. <laughs> did, did you see the guy in um, Mallorca that sank sank the yacht as well? Uh, yes, yeah. A guy in Mallorca sank a yacht. Sank the yacht of sank his boss's yeah. yacht. 
<laughs> got sacked. Sacked his boss's yacht because his boss was his boss Russian or was was kind of pro-Russian or something. And in, yeah, in, he in was Ukrainian. Yeah, and his boss was a Russian oligarch. <laughs> so he sank his yacht. <laughs> I just, I just love to see um, what would happen if it was the UK. You know. Yeah. Well, what, I can't. I can't what, imagine what, what going would, down the local council office. What would Gnala and um, and uh, <laughs> Gardner, Gardner do? <laughs> you know, go and um, go and throw roses on the passing armoured <laughs> personnel carriers in protest. Absolutely, I tweeted. I, I had the misfortune of sharing, well, albeit a very brief Twitter conversation with one of those people at the weekend. Did you? Well, it was only because one of the one of them <laughs> tweeted. Yeah, it's on the mall over chat. Yeah, it is. Yeah, chat. one of them. One of them tweeted, um, just about. Oh, it was about Mar- Mar- Maratoji. Um, we were, why, why, why would he? Why would he still play? Continue to pull on a white jersey for England um, when you know the crowd continued to sing "Sweet Low" even after he'd said that he didn't like it very much and he wanted them to stop. You know, where, where is this? Oh, it's on Twitter. And I is just it? basically said, people, are, something along the lines of, I'm sick of your incessant bullshit. <laughs> to which I got a reply, I don't even know who you are. I mean, that's fair, to be, to be honest. <laughs> it's quite funny from him, to be fair. We'll leave it there, though. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't really care, i got to be honest, about any of it. And, you know, without wanting to sound too morbid, we're just waiting for... Uh, for Putin to push a nuclear button, aren't we? Because he's got he's backed himself into such a corner that there's no way out. He's either got to fucking hide in a cave like Bin Laden, or he's just gonna go. You know what? Fuck you all and push a button. So uh, best of luck. Yeah, I keep. Uh, I've had a couple of conversations with some very anxiety ridden people about. Oh, what if the what if the what if it comes to nuclear war? I said. I said well, well, then we're all, of all fucked, the things so to have anxiety of, of all the things to have anxiety about. That's not it. <laughs> Because exactly. if it does happen, where do you live? You live just north of London, do you? Yeah, you'll be gone. You'll be dead, like, yeah. You'll, be, like, you'll see the flash and it'll just be like, later, peace. <laughs> <laughs> but what if my kids are at school? I won't be with my kids. It's like, they won't know either. <laughs> where do they go? Oh, just slightly less north of London. Oh, yeah. They'll be vaporised slightly before you. <laughs> yeah. But we, I, I mean, we are talking um, literally milliseconds before you, so... <laughs> If that if that gives you a crumb of comfort, <laughs> you know, like, like those people who are worried about actually really people who are worried about uh, dying in plane crashes. It's yeah, like, I had one of those on the way back from Belfast. Um, <laughs> Chris, who I work with, is like, I'm not the best flyer. I said, Well, Chris, if it's any consolation, if we do crash, you'll die instantly. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I worry more about living through air crashes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it'll be the igniting jet fuel. So <laughs> don't worry about it. You'll suffocate instantly because all the oxygen will be sucked yeah. out. That, that's, that's provided you've not had a heart attack at the thought of uh, <laughs> yeah. at the thought of nosedive into earth at 500 mile an hour. Yeah. And did that or help him? In, in terminal velocity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what would be really bad is if the plane broke in half in the sky and you just plummeted to earth in your seat, unable to unclip it because of the G-forces. <laughs> well, whilst you, whilst you can't breathe and yeah. you look and you look like a, a, a and, really... and don't let anyone fool you, Chris. Taking your coat off and using it as a parachute won't work. 
Oh, and you know that oxygen mask that uh, that flaps down from the top. Yeah, ain't worth a piss. <laughs> ain't worth a piss, mate. <laughs> anyway, let's keep it light. Ben, have you done any other business? No. Okay. Thanks, mate. Uh, right. Let's let's get out of issue. We have no idea how long this has been going on for, but as Doug intimated, it feels like forever. So uh, we'll see you all next week. There is some premiership, no Six Nations. So uh, well well done, Cornish Pirates. Yes. Well done to the Pirates. Um, We were chatting about that briefly before we we came on air and they've got to go to Ealing and go to Doncaster. But uh, I think we should try and go, maybe go to Pirates Ealing or do something. I don't know. Let's try and get together and do it. Um, Right. We're going out of here. I'll speak to you all later. Go well. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.